Praise the Lord. His grace is truly amazing, isn't it? His grace is truly amazing. And we know that his grace is amazing because the word says that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. While we were yet sinners, before we even knew who he was, he loved us enough to die for us. And we praise God for that. Thank God for his grace, for his mercy. I give God all the praises and honor for his son Jesus this morning. I thank God for each and one of every one of you. I thank you for your hospitality, for your kindness, and for your grace. I was uh, looking over about three or four different sermons uh, about what to uh, what word to bring this morning, and I um, I just told the Lord. I said, I just want that you be glorified. I just want you to be glorified. And he made it plain to me um, where the word should come from this morning. And so we are going to come from John chapter 11. Familiar story, familiar passage of scripture. Uh, um, I would be surprised if there was anybody here who was not familiar with it. John chapter 11, verses 27 through 29 If you don't mind as you as you find that 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 passage of scripture would you please stand uh John chapter 11, verses 27 through 29, and it reads, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and he calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. The subject that we'll focus on this morning is Christ is calling. Christ is calling. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you right now for this opportunity. We thank you for this moment. We thank you, Lord God, for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, and we give you praises for your word, which gives us direction, gives us strength, gives us hope, uh, gives us understanding. We thank you, Lord, for it right now. We pray, Father, that hearts are open right now to receive your word. And we pray, Lord, that you use me, that you hold me up, that you speak through me now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray also, Father. For Brother Carlton, who is also bringing the word down at Christian Fellowship, we pray for his strength. We pray, Lord, that you hold him up and that you guide every thought and every word. And we just give you all the praises and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
The word says that Martha, when she had heard the words from Jesus Christ, when he had told her that he is life itself. It says that she went into her sister who was in the house and she told her sister secretly saying that the master is come and he calls for thee. The master is come and he calls for thee. Our subject is Christ is calling. But we want to get an understanding of why he's calling, who he's calling, what he's calling us for. There is a misconception about salvation. There is a, mis- a misconception about what it means to be saved. So many um, ministries teach that that uh, if you're saved, you'll never have any more problems. And if you're saved, then um, uh, you'll never get sick again. You'll never um, your, your children will automatically start behaving and. Uh, your, your wife will do exactly what she's supposed to do and the husband will uh, do what he's supposed to do and you won't ever have any more troubles. That's not true. If you are saved, you know that's not true. Christ doesn't call you to prosperity. He does not call you to perfect health. He doesn't call you to have a perfect family or fame or fortune or any of those things. Christ is more concerned about you being his than he is about you being happy. The the truth of the Bible is that when you get saved, you are guaranteed troubles. You are guaranteed to have tribulations. Christ said that you should know that the world, when it hates you, understand that it hated me first. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. Nevertheless, Christ is calling. The the, the text that we have here today in John chapter 11 is familiar because it is the story of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a powerful testimony of who Christ is. It, It makes us understand that he is the God of resurrection. He is the God of life. There is um, an ability to dismiss the flesh when we understand that God has power over life itself. When we submit to him and understand that the, the salvation we have is a salvation of eternal life. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We live in a temporary mindset. We live in the moment. We want uh, everything now, if not before. And it's a worldly way of thinking. But God instructs us. He encourages us to understand that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And not that it's something that we're waiting for. The moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, from that moment forward, we will live forever. Sure, this body is going to die, but spiritually you have salvation and you have eternal life in Jesus. Verse 1 and verse 2, it says that a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
it is plain from Scripture here, and not only in this verse, but throughout uh, the Bible and especially the New Testament. It says that Lazarus was sick. Anybody who will stand in a pulpit and preach to you that saved people never get sick, they're lying. They're lying. They, and you've heard it. They, they will tell you that uh, if you're saved, you're, you're, not, you're supposed to have good health. God promised you good health. God promised you'd never get sick. Every one of us one day will get sick and die, which is the very reason why it's so important that we accept Christ as Savior. This flesh is feeble, it's weak, and, and it's, it's mortal, and it's going away one day. None of us is going to live forever. I was at a funeral just yesterday, and, and the, the words of comfort that, that we offer to the family is, when the person accepts Christ as their Savior, then it makes those moments easier. It makes those moments easier to deal with because you know where they are. They're with Christ. They're in a better place. And so we should encourage each other with those words. But never, you know, there's a scientific term for uh, the, the, the theory that Christians never get sick. It's called baloney. Uh, it's not true. We will have troubles. We will have trials. We will have tribulation. We will, be, we will get sick. We will have worries. There will be stresses. But our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in eternity, not in the moment. The Bible says Lazarus was sick. But it says also that he was not just sick. But, but verse 4, it says, when Jesus heard that, he, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Jesus is explaining to his disciples that Lazarus, yes, he's sick, but he's not sick unto death. He, he's saying that death is not going to claim victory in this sickness. He's saying that this sickness is going to be to the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. What, we, what should we take from that? We should understand that sometimes when we have problems and when we have troubles and when we have uh, struggles that sometimes God allows things to happen to us one so we can grow and be strengthened but two also so that he can be glorified in our lives there are things that we go through look there is no soldier that is sent into battle without first being trained there is no plant that that grows on top of the ground Every seed must be buried and it has to work its way through the soil in order to grow and have life. We have to go through things in order to grow and have life in Christ. That's how he trains us. That's how he strengthens us. That's how he conditions us. We all have to go through things from time to time. But we have to remember in those trials that Jesus is yet Lord. He's Lord over every storm. And he's Lord in our lives. And he's able to, if we, if we go into anything, he's able to bring us out of it. Amen? Jesus told the disciples. He said that this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. He told the disciples that 
he was going to see Lazarus. The disciples challenged Jesus. They said it was just a few days ago that the the Jews, the Pharisees, were looking to to take your life. Because you were in this this, the same area and you're telling us that you're going to go back to the place where they were looking to kill you. The answer is yes. And he was going to go willingly because Lazarus was his friend. Jesus had just made the point in chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd who watches over his sheep. He's saying that 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 when the the wolf comes, he doesn't run away and leave the sheep unprotected. He goes and he protects the sheep. He says, my friend Lazarus is sick and I'm going to check on him. But not only that, he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And what he was telling the disciples is that Lazarus has actually died. He had waited purposefully to the point that Lazarus had not only been sick, but he had ceased to live. He had lost his life. He had died out of in this sickness. But the way he phrased it was interesting to me. He says, Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. You know, I was thinking about that and uh, and, it, and it reminded me of the body of Christ. Because there are there are those of us who have professed Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we have ceased to grow since that moment. We haven't uh, grown and done the things that God calls us to do. We have grown comfortable in our in our worship. We we have air conditioned buildings and cushioned seats and uh, the worship and the 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 worship is we know all the songs and uh, we're used to them and who cares the the words yeah I know the words and. Uh, the, 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 the sermons don't challenge us about our sin. And, uh, so often the body of Christ just grows complacent and we're stagnant. And if we're not careful, we start to nod off in our walk with Christ. But Jesus says that he will wake us out of our sleep. Sometimes the troubles that we have in our life are sent there for a reason. God allows trouble in our life so that it will shake us out of our sleep. We need to wake up. There is, he, said, he says in his word that we should occupy until he comes. Occupy is the root word of occupation. It means work. There is a whole world of unbelievers out there who do not know who Jesus Christ is. And our only goal is to make sure we get the seat that we had last week. We should be challenged. We need to wake up. There is a world to be won for Jesus Christ. There is a mission field right outside these walls. Jesus said that he had fallen asleep. 
but he's going to awaken. The Bible says that when Jesus and the disciples arrived in Bethany, it says that Lazarus had been in the grave four days already. That's verse 17. Lazarus was in the grave four days already. Four days. What's, what's, what's significant about four days? Well, they didn't, they didn't have the, the, the scientific technology that we have today. They didn't have all the technological advances that we have today. But they understood that by day four, the body that was in the grave was not the same body that you put in the grave. They understood that, that you had started to decompose. And even in this same chapter, it says that, that surely he already stinks. They, they understood that he, his body had begun to decompose. And he wasn't Lazarus anymore. Why is that significant? Why is that included? Why would that be here? The reason is because if Christ had shown up when Lazarus was only sick, sickness is something that we can deal with. God wants us to understand that, that he sees that we have in our minds that we can handle certain things. We believe that uh, we're able to deal with some troubles. We're able to deal with some stresses. And so we take it upon ourselves to carry certain loads. But God allows it to get bad enough that it's in a condition that only he can fix. When the body began to decompose, they understood that, that if anything happens here, it won't be anything that man can do. If anything happens with Lazarus, it won't be because of our medicines. It won't be because of our technology. It won't be because of anything that we can do in and of ourselves. It'll have to be God. Think back to some of the troubles that you've had in your life. Think back to some of the tribulations you've gone through, some of the difficulties you've had. And think about the most difficult ones. Think about when you had it made up in your mind that if, if anything happens, it'll have to be God because I can't do it. My money is not going to fix it this time. I'm not smart enough to get out of this situation. I'm not strong enough to carry this load. Do you remember those times? And do you remember how God brought you out of it? Did you remember to thank him? The reason we see here that the body had began to decompose is because it wanted to be clear. The, 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 the word is clear for us that if anything happens, it'll have to be God who does it. It'll have to be God. Verse 20. It says, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming. Those are powerful words. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. 
Brother Erica reminded us this morning, Jesus is coming. This is the season of Advent, the season where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Jesus is coming. Those words are the anchor. They are the hinge that all of this Bible turns on. Jesus is coming. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what the, that's the proclamation of this book. Jesus is coming. In Genesis, when when uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, and God was uh, proclaiming the sentence on the serpent, and He told the serpent, He said, "I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed," and He said that your seed is going to uh, bruise his heel. But her seed is going to crush his head. What he was saying is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He, he called Abraham and he told Abraham, he said, leave your father and your, your people. And he said to go into a land that I'll show you. And he says, I'll, I'll hold up my end of the bargain. My end of the bargain is that I'm going to bless whoever blesses you and I'm going to curse whoever curses you. And he said that the whole world, every nation will be blessed by your seed. I was telling Abraham, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He told Moses, he said, listen, tell the people that they may not listen to you now. But there one day is coming a prophet. And that he, I'm going to put my words in his mouth. And that you will listen to him. He was saying, Jesus is coming. He says, a virgin shall be with child, and his name shall be Emmanuel. He was saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, in the Gospels, they say that he came. They say that he lived on this earth for 33 years, a perfect and sinless life. In deed and thought, he was perfect. And yet and still, he was found guilty. And he died on a cross, crucified for a crime he didn't commit. But he rose on the third day. And before he ascended, he let them know that he would be back. And all of this New Testament proclaims to us that Jesus is coming. Have you told anybody lately that Jesus is coming? Jesus is coming. We should live like we believe it. Jesus is coming. It is the message of this whole word. If you believe that Jesus is coming, we ought to live like it. The Bible says that as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. Is that your testimony? As soon as you heard Jesus was coming, did you go and meet him? Did you accept him as your Lord and Savior? I'll tell you, it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. I was more like Mary, the sister. I continued to sit in my house. Don't misunderstand me. I went to church my whole life. My whole life I was in church. Grew up in church. I uh, started out as uh, I sang in the choir at my church. But I wasn't saved. I became an usher. I stood at the door and, and welcomed people in and gave them programs and Told them to sit here and sit there. But I wasn't saved. It wasn't until I was uh, 
encouraged by my pastor that he was considering me to be a deacon. And I, and I said, that's not something I want to do unless I'm serious about it, unless I'm for real about it. But I didn't know what to do. I knew what this word said about um, we need to we need to know God and we need to trust him. And uh, there's there's his son, Jesus, who died for our sins. And it was all corporate. It was a church thing. It wasn't a me thing. I didn't know what it meant for me. And then one day I was working at the Anderson Star. Don't boo. Um, and I was on my way to Tuscaloosa to cover a story. And I was somewhere between Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, and I was on I-20. And uh, I was listening to a minister on the radio, and he was preaching a sermon. And I, and I, I regret that I don't even remember who the minister was. Uh, but I was listening, and um, at the end of his sermon, he explained the gospel. And it opened my eyes. The explanation opened my eyes the way my eyes hadn't been opened before. Uh, even though I had spent my life in church. And what he did was he made it personal. And what's personal about the gospel is that if only one person, and that person being you, if, if you were the only person who was ever going to be saved in throughout all of creation, throughout all of history, and, and, and even including the future generations, if you were the only person who would ever be saved, Christ would have done exactly what he did. He still would have died and given his life for you. That opened my eyes. This isn't about the church. This is about me. It's how much he loves me. It's time I start loving him back. And I gave my life to Christ that day, almost 10 years ago, in the car on the way to Tuscaloosa. If only I'd been on my way to Auburn, it'd have been perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. But Mary, Mary, or mom, excuse me, Martha said to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and Christ responded in a way as if to acknowledge that, as if to say, you know what, you're right. If I had been here, he would not have died. But he had said already, he said, I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad I was not there so that God would be glorified. The reason sometimes we are allowed to drift and coast and, and, and uh, sort of settle in our, um, in our troubles and our tribulations, the reason God doesn't immediately answer our prayers sometimes, and some of us have been calling on God for weeks, for months, maybe even years, We've been calling on God for, for something specific in our lives. And he hasn't answered. The reason sometimes is so that it gets bad enough 
or it gets so far along that you know it's not you who's doing it. You can't fix it. You can't make it right. You can't make it come to pass. This goal that you have, you can't accomplish it. And when it gets to that point, see, God doesn't just want your difficulty. He wants your impossible. He wants your impossible. When it's difficult, you, you'll, you'll, you'll rig something together and, uh, or you'll wait it out and it'll work out somehow. He, doesn't want, he wants your impossible. He wants it to be where you are so in such a condition that you have to cry out to him. That's what Peter did. When, when they saw Christ on the boat and Christ was, came to them walking on water, Peter said, Lord, allow me to come out to you. And Christ bid him to come. And the Bible says that, that Peter stepped out on the water and he began to walk toward Christ. But then the winds began to blow and the waves began to whip around him and he began to sink and he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. But he stretched out his hand and said, Lord, help me. And that's all God wants from us. He wants us to stretch out our hand and say, Lord, help me. The shame of it is that it takes the wind and the waves to get us to that point. And so he allows it. God is less concerned about our happiness than he is about us just being his and reaching out to him. She said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This, I pause because the message of this story is so powerful in its implications for our salvation. Listen to this exchange between Jesus and Martha. Martha said, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And he said, I, she, but she said, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I wonder if we truly believe it. I wonder if we truly believe it. Do you believe that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, that you'll never die? Now, I'm not talking about this flesh. I'm not looking for anybody to walk out in traffic today and test your faith. Uh, we'll write you a nice obituary. Uh, that's not what we're, what we're talking about. What I'm saying is, do you believe that spiritually... One day you will be able to look into the face of the man who died for you. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that? Have you hung all your hope on that promise? If you believe that, 
then we should live like it. And I, and I mean the church. We should live like we believe that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. In the exchange, Martha was saying, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. And everything Jesus said, she said, I know, I know. And, and we find ourselves doing the same thing. Uh, you know, when, when, when I try to encourage someone uh, who's going through a difficult time and, and, I'll, and I'll open up Scripture and I'll say, well, the Bible says this. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And then I'll say, but look at this. And it says this. And oh, yeah, I know, I know. But do you understand that our ability, our strength to get through this life is in the word of God? And we can't just say, yeah, I know, but I was thinking this. Yeah, I know, but uh, this is what happens in the real world. This is the real world. This is the real world. Scripture is our power to walk in godliness and to please him. Scripture gives us instruction. It is, it is an amazing thing that we have the Word of God in our hands. His Word. The very thing that He wants from us, we can know it by reading His Word. We don't have to guess at it. We don't have to wonder about it. His will for us. And, and one of the, you know, this is a worldly, fleshly thing, but you'll hear people say, well, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find myself right now. Or I'm, I'm trying to figure things out. I, I need to know what God wants from me. And my response is always, well, how much time have you spent in the Word? Because He tells us. He reveals to us plainly. And it's amazing because He also describes His Word as a mystery. But it's a mystery to those who would read it casually we should read his word with a desire to know what he's saying to us i should want to know what god is saying to me in his word and then it opens up and it becomes plain and it becomes spiritual and it becomes more than what the words say plainly on the surface you know um you remember those, um, I forget, those, those drawings, those illusion drawings that they had a few years ago? And you, they, it looked like garble, but you stare at it long enough and you see an image down in there. Um, the Word of God is kind of like that. Uh, you can't understand it if you come to it with just reading it for a surface understanding, if you're just reading it casually. But if you, if you, if you study it, and if you meditate on it, then it will reveal itself to you. It will re- the, the deeper meanings of God's word will reveal themselves to you. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Do you know that you can't understand, you can't truly understand God's word without the Holy Spirit? You can't. If you don't believe me, give John chapter 11 to uh, an unsaved friend of yours and ask him to explain it to you. They won't see all of this. They won't see what you see. They won't hear what you hear. God speaks to us through his word. And you know what's great about it? Even greater than that is five years from now when you come back and you read John 11 again, you'll get something different. His word's alive and that's powerful. 
Martha said, I know, I know, I know. And Jesus responded to her as, are you sure? Are you sure you know? Are we sure today that we know? We're almost done. We're almost done. She said unto him, verse 27, she said unto him, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calls for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, the sister that she went to is Mary. Mary is the same sister who, in verse 20, when she heard that Christ was, was coming, she continued to sit in her house and she didn't respond. It wasn't until the message was made personal. Do you see here in, in, in the lower verse that in verse 28, she says, Martha says to Mary, she said, the master is come and he calls for thee. He calls for you. This is this gospel is personal. This gospel is about you specifically. As you sit there in your seat, this is about you. This this isn't about the, the apostles. It's not about the forefathers. It's, it's not about uh, revelations. This gospel is about you. Christ died on the cross to save you. Specifically, you. Christ is calling. Christ is calling. She said, Christ calls for you. And in verse 29, it says, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Is that your testimony? Do you know that Christ calls for you? And when you realize that he's calling for you specifically, how are you responding? Are you responding immediately by going to him and giving your life to him? Are you saved today? Do you know that Christ is your Lord and Savior? I I'm always careful to say Lord and Savior because some of us want, want, want we want to be saved, but we don't want to be lorded over. We we want we want the blessings and the security and eternal life. But we don't want direction and instruction. Keep those things. Oh, he he's he died on the cross to be our Lord and our Savior. Our Lord and our Savior it means that he gets to sit on the big chair in your heart. There is a throne in your heart. And sometimes we, we want to sit on that chair and we want to put him at, on, the, on the smaller chair. Jesus sits on the big chair. He's Lord. He's in charge. His instruction is what we're supposed to follow. Not our, not our urges and our desires. Christ is calling for you. Will you come quickly? He calls you. To peace. He calls you to a guiltless conscience. A guiltless conscience. He calls you to a full pardon of sin. You know, it always amazes me. Uh, you know, whenever I have the opportunity to speak to somebody who, uh, you know, somebody who may be going to church from time to time, but they're not truly uh, committed to church, and you ask them, the question, are you saved? And I've heard several times the response come back, well, I used to be. 
Either you're saved or you're not. And Christ didn't die on the cross for us to be kind of saved. He didn't die on the cross for us to be saved for a little while until we do something to mess it up. Either you were never saved or you're still saved. You're just out of a right relationship with him. And you need to fix that. But his his salvation is eternal. And that's worth giving your life for. He calls us to a full pardon of sin and he calls us for a new life in Christ. We can have a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't say a perfect life. I didn't say that 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 when you give your life to Christ, that the sun's going to come out and there'll be rainbows and uh, lilies will bloom everywhere you go. I didn't say that. That's not that's not what he gives. you. He gives us a new life in that we have eternity and we can begin to live for eternity. Instead of living for the moment. We are guilty of that. We're guilty of living for right now. But we serve a God who's eternal. And he wants us to have an eternal mindset. I can let this urge pass. Because I know I will have complete and utter satisfaction in eternity. I can let this temptation go by. Because I know that all that I ever wanted will be in heaven waiting for me. That's living eternity. Eternity. Christ calls today. Christ calls for each of us. He calls you by your name. He knew you before you entered into your mother's womb. He knows you and he calls you specifically. Will you answer? Let us pray. Lord God, we come.